Okay, shall we get started? Good morning to you all. Hope you've had a fantastic week. What we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be starting our um, Freedom in Christ course. Who knew that before coming today? Who was kind of aware? Yeah, good. Communication works. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working through this course. Let me explain a little bit about what it's about, how it applies to us, etc. Jesus said, just before he kind of went to heaven to his followers, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, the question then begs the question, what is a disciple? Well, a disciple isn't just simply a convert. It's not someone who, who just makes a decision. It's someone who, whose life is transformed and they spend that life kind of as a result of that, continually growing and developing. And in terms of a follower of Jesus, it means continually developing and getting to know Jesus, the one we follow. And that, that's a lifelong thing. It has a beginning point, but it's something that continues throughout our life until the very end of our life. It's something we grow at. It's something we're doing, continually learning. And all about being a disciple of Jesus is about getting to know a person, the person of Jesus, and see that effect on our lives and the lives of those um, around us. And the Freedom in Christ course is for all Christians. It's uh, regardless of your age or background or how long you've been a Christian or, or any of those questions, it's for you. Um, apparently up till date, there's been about 125,000 people in the UK alone who've been through this course, and we are going to be going through it as a church. It's all based around the Bible and the principles of the Bible and everything that's, been, that's taught in there. So in one sense, it's nothing new. There shouldn't be anything new, newfangled that we're going to do today. We're just going back to what the Bible says. And what we're going to do is we're going to take those principles we find in the Bible and we're going to apply it to our lives. We're going to apply those truths to our lives and hopefully... See the transforming effect of Jesus in our lives. How we're going to do it is we're going to do it here on a Sunday. We're going to preach through it. So you'll be, when you come on a Sunday, you're going to hear it. They'll get uploaded to the web. So if you've missed it, you can catch up. In our life groups, which happen midweek, we're going to do some follow-up, just bits and pieces, some questions, opportunity to pray in a slightly more informal environment so you get to kind of earth a bit you've heard today. So this week when you go to life group, um, there'll be some follow-up stuff. Um, I'm going to be doing the speaking on this course. Mike is also going to help me and Sarah. They're going to do a couple of sessions this term because they've been running this course in their home for the last um, couple of terms, and they've got a lot of experience with that. But today kind of functions as an intro session to the course, um, and hopefully will set us up um, for where we're going to go. Now, all this course is based around the Bible. Who brought their Bible today? Wave it at me. Oh, excellent. It counts if it's on your phone. Who brought it on their phone? The digit that does count, not properly, but it does count because it's there. Um, we're going to base it, it's all about talking around the Bible, we teach the Bible every week in this church, we love the Bible, it's the word of God, but if we're going to actually start by going through this, we need to start with the basics, let's talk about the Bible, that's what we're going to do today, talk about the Bible, and hopefully by the end of this session, your faith and trust in God's word will have increased, you might have thought about things you hadn't thought about, but hopefully we'll all be on the same page to move forward. So why should we trust the Bible? I don't know how you viewed the Bible growing up. I don't know what your kind of thoughts about it were, how you came across it to where you come today. You might even have think, thoughts about it now. You think it's a, just a book of stories, kind of strange myths from a long time ago. It's vaguely spiritual. A lot of people put a lot of kind of stock in it. Some people kind of pick and choose it. Um, it seems to be around a lot. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Bible sets itself apart as the most influential book ever written, ever, period. It is number one. It tops the best seller lists Every year, year on year, decade after decade, so much to the point they just remove it because it's like not fair. That it always wins. 
So they take it off the top and let someone else, it's basically who's second, but they call it first because the Bible is always number one. Um, It's had around six billion copies printed. Um, It was also the first ever book printed. I think 1454, the Gutenberg Bible, the first thing that kind of came on the modern printing press was was the Bible. Um, So six billion copies. It's been translated the most into other languages. Apparently its current count is over 2,500 different languages. That's a lot. I didn't even know there were that many. You know, there's English, isn't there? And then there's a couple of others. But, you know, apparently 2,500 different languages. To put that in perspective, the second on the list, second most translated book, is apparently Pinocchio. And that's 260. So 2,500, 260. Ironically, it's interesting that the third book apparently is Pilgrim's Progress, which is based on the Bible. But that's the third most translated book. It contains nearly three quarters of a million words. If you read it out loud, it would take about 70 hours to get through it all. It was written by 40 people, 40 diff- over 40 different people, from kings down to fishermen who contributed. It was written over 1,500 years and three continents. Yet, it has one theme and one message. It is a message from God to the people he created. One unifying theme. The Bible says about itself, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of the Bible is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for a correction, and for training in righteousness. Although they were human writers, it was inspired by God himself. That's what's behind it. That's what kind of makes it unique amongst all other books. It's the very words of God to us. Now, that might on the surface sound a bit like, ooh, cuckoo. You know, it's a bit strange, but actually, I'm just going to go through four things that actually, I mean, that is actually a perfectly rational thing to believe about the Bible. It's not something that makes us a bit like, you know, ready for the nuthouse. This is actually a perfectly reasonable thing to, to think about. So, four things about the Bible to help us trust it and believe it. Number one, history confirms the Bible. History confirms, but the Bible contains loads of historical information. If you've ever read any of it, like the Old Testament, we went through um, Joseph just last couple of terms. There's just loads of people and places and things, and you read more and more, you just get loads and loads of information. Now, you'd expect, if the Bible was from God, that that stuff would be accurate, wouldn't you? You wouldn't expect God to make mistakes on those kind of things. So, but what, and what has happened is we found that the Bible has been proved accurate time and time again. In um, Genesis 19, there are two cities that are famous that are mentioned called Sodom and Gomorrah. They're just, they're known. They're known. But up till, for many, many years, um, they were considered, actually no one, no one else had heard of those things. They almost were like, they were fictional, made up, and actually it brought, people said about the Bible, well, they've, they've got it wrong with these two cities, never heard of them. They don't exist, they don't appear anywhere else. And then they, they discovered some, some stone tablets in northern Syria, the Elba Stones, and guess which two cities they mentioned? Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually it's like, oh, the Bible was right all along. These two cities did exist. There's another group in the Bible called the Hittites. They're people, they, they lived in the land of Canaan. They were a group and they're mentioned over 50 times. And up until kind of, I think it was the 19th century, no one, out, they'd never, kind of no one else had mentioned them. And again, it was one of those things where, oh, the Bible's got it wrong. They just made up these people. They've made up some bad guys, given them a name. To make out to flesh out the story, and then of course they discover more archaeological evidence. Guess which people they found? The Hittites. They exist. They were real. They were people. In John's Gospel, we studied John 
couple of years back, the whole of the Gospel, John chapter 5, there's an interesting story where Jesus is in Jerusalem and he comes to a pool. And John, the, the disciple, one of his followers, said it was called the pool, pool of Bethesda. And he writes saying, so there's this pool of Bethesda. And there was a strange thing about the pool, it had um, healing qualities. And the people kind of get into the pool when it bubbled and, and apparently someone got healed. And Jesus is kind of there. But he also describes the pool. He said, well, by the pool there were five roofed colonnades kind of that surround the pool that kind of gave it a distinct look. And for years, centuries, no one ever found these. And people said, well, John got it wrong. Kind of the gospel can't be right. But, you know, he put this detail in and think no one ever found it. Then guess what happened? In the 19th century, during excavations, they found a pool. What was next to the pool? Five roofed colonnades. And guess what they found in the inscription by the pool? That the pool had healing qualities. <laughs> John was right. History shows that the Bible is accurate to what it says. The second thing, what the Bible said would happen did happen. Now, <laughs> if you read your Old Testament in particular, it's full of prophecies and predictions. Some of the books are called the prophetic books written by prophets. And they say things that are going to happen in the future. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 26, he prophesies against a city called Tyre. And he says, this will be, the city will be destroyed. He pronounces God's judgment on it. And the city exists. It's there in his time. It's about 586 BC. And he prophesies destruction on this city. A short time later, a king called Nebuchadnezzar comes along. And what happens? The city is destroyed. The prophecy comes true. Jeremiah, another prophet, who was born about 645 BC, he predicted in Jeremiah 25 that the Jewish people would be taken into exile. So they would be removed from the, the, the Israel where they were, the city of Jerusalem. He said, you're actually going to go. And at the time, they were happily settled down. They were like, we're not going anywhere. Then what happened? Babylon came along, this empire, destroyed Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, took the people into exile, just as Jeremiah predicted. He also predicted that you're only going to be in exile for 70 years. Now, this is unusual because usually when people are taken into exile... They're removed from their home, displaced, they're taken somewhere else, and gradually they just assimilate to the new culture and effectively disappear as a people. They intermarry, and as they live there, and the time goes on, and they effectively kind of, they almost go into nothing. But Jeremiah said, actually, you're going to only be there 70 years. 66 years into the exile, what happens? Babylon is destroyed. It's taken over by another nation called Persia. There's a king there called Cyrus. And what does he do? He says to the Jews... You can go back to Jerusalem. In fact, I'm even going to help you. Read the book of Nehemiah. And I'll help you build temple and, and repopulate Jerusalem. What about the person of Jesus? There are lots of things the Bible says about Jesus. Some of them are really crazy. Like, they tell you where he was going to be born. Now, you can't fudge that, can you? You have no say over where you were born. It said there's a Savior. He's going to come. Where's he going to be born? Bethlehem. He's, born there. he's going to grow up. He's going to be a Nazarene. Yes, where does he live? Nazareth. He even says about what he's going to do in his life. He even says, how is he going to die? He's going to be hung on a tree. This was before crucifixion was invented, by the way. The prophecy came. How did Jesus die? He was hung on a tree. Then most shockingly, he said, Jesus is going to rise from death. What did Jesus do? Rise from the dead. What the Bible said would happen did happen. The third thing. The Bible's claim that Jesus rose from the dead is credible. Now, the defining thing about the New Testament in particular is that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the linchpin of that 
book. It's the linchpin of the Bible. It's the linchpin of our Christian faith. If you take that out, everything else falls apart. Jesus rose from death. And to be perfectly honest, it's a rather stunning claim. In fact, it's a rather crazy claim. In fact, when you look at it with modern science, it's ridiculous. People don't rise from dead. When they're dead, they're dead. That's it. Dead. Gone. The end. But actually, Jesus rising from dead is perfectly reasonable. First of all, he was executed by Roman soldiers who were really good at what they did. He was dead, and he was placed in a tomb. But yet three days later, it says the tomb was empty. And this is a fact that has basically sent shockwaves down the century, so much to the point where, I don't know if you mean next year, there is a film coming out called Risen, starring Joseph Fiennes, all about trying to find the body of Jesus. He plays a Roman um, soldier. I saw the trailer. I was trying to thought, well, that would be interesting to see how they deal with that one. Um, I haven't got a lot of faith in Hollywood, but there you go. They're still bothered. And it's all about the fact that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. So what happened? Even the authorities thought the body got stolen. You see that in Matthew. They actually say, well, the, someone's nicked the body, um, which is kind of hard because it was guarded by Roman soldiers. Straight after his, um, apparently, his apparent death and the fact that his body is no longer in the tomb anymore, we suddenly get these accounts appearing of people who are saying they've seen Jesus. His 12 followers, who were frightened guys, cowards who'd run away, suddenly saying, wait a minute, he's alive. She's off, oh, she's here. <laughs> hey, Mary. Um, so the disciples saying they, you know, they've seen the risen Jesus. There's accounts of, you know, they're in locked rooms and he appears before them. There's those two followers on the road to Emmaus. They're just walking along and they see, they meet the risen Christ. There's that poor one, Thomas, poor Thomas, who was labelled the doubter. He wasn't there and then suddenly Jesus appears again and he's like, oh my Lord, yeah, I've seen you. There's one account, it says in Corinthians, where 500 people saw him at once. So he appeared to a massive crowd of people and they all saw him. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, in his letter says, I'm an eyewitness to the resurrection. I saw the risen Jesus. I saw him alive. Luke's gospel. If you read the, first, the opening section, Luke says that I'm writing this down so it's clear and I've went and talked to people who saw it. And you can actually go and talk to them yourself. I'm just writing down their accounts. I'm not an eyewitness, but I've investigated this. I've, I've talked to people who saw it and they're still alive. So when you're reading my gospel, if you don't believe me, go and talk to them. They're all there. Many of the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus rise from the dead died for that belief. They were willing to lay down their lives saying, he is risen. He is alive. He's not dead. And they were willing to face that all the way to grim death. They don't do that unless it's true. What about in the, um, the lives of the early church? Um, Jewish faith to that point, the, the, the day, the sacred day, the special day had been the Sabbath, the Saturday. That was the day of rest. Suddenly, overnight, historically speaking, it changed to Sunday. Sunday became the day of worship for the early church and has been ever since. Why? Because Jesus rose on the Sunday. Everything changed. Jesus' mothers and brothers worshipped him as God. Okay, now just think about that. I have a mum, I have two brothers. There is no chance on this earth that they would ever worship me as God. That doesn't mean they don't love me, but they would never worship me as God because they know me. My mum has seen me since I was tiny. My brothers grew up with me. They know all my flaws and all those things, and they've seen me do dumb and crazy things. But they worshipped him 
as God. They had to be sure of something. And so the Bible's claim that Jesus rose from death is totally credible. The fourth one, the church has never stopped growing. If the Bible is God's word, then you'd expect it to have an effect in people's lives. That, that, that just follow. If God's behind it, you'd expect to have some positive effect. It's not going to fail. There was a group called the Lausanne Statistical Star, uh, Task Force that tried to compile evidence for how many Christians had been, are alive and have ever been alive. And they tried to do some, some working out. And what they found is that around the 1800s, the population of the earth was about a billion. And there's about 20 million Christians in it. But what has happened since then is staggering. The population is now about 7 billion. And they reckon there are a million people coming Christians a week. A million. There are now more Christians alive than the rest of human history combined. Think about that. More Christians now alive today, worshipping Jesus today, than they've ever lived. The church has never stopped growing. That graph actually on there, interestingly, is pretty accurate in terms of it suddenly kicked up with the population explosion. Um, in China, apparently about 28,000 Christians a day, people becoming Christians a day, and there's about between 1,800 million in the whole country. In Africa, a century ago, three, three and a hundred people were a Christian across the continent of Africa. Now it's around 45 in a hundred. So we're getting, in Africa, you're getting on for 50% of the population are believers. South Korea home of the largest church in the world. There are millions of people becoming Christians. Apparently the United Nations reclassified the country from a Buddhist country to a Christian country. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? When you reclassify the religion of a country. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. If God's behind it, it's gonna, there's something going to be happening, isn't there? The fact is, the truths in the Bible change lives today. If the Bible is true, you'd expect it to have an impact on people's lives. And that's my testimony. As we go through this course, we're going to hear some people and see how God's changed their lives. But for my life, I was living my life my own way. I had a nominal church belief, but it was very much sort of secondary to what I did. And God came and impacted my life. He saved me. He transformed me. He turned me around. His word, I found out his word was true. He was true. He was real. And he was interested in me. And the life I was living, the way I was living, I suddenly realized when faced with the truth of God and who he was and his holiness that I actually wasn't as good as I thought I was. I suddenly realized actually I was just a self-righteous legalist Pharisee. I thought I could earn my way. I was good enough. I was better than the people around me. So I believed and actually suddenly realized before God I was none of those things. When, it, when, I, when I stood myself against his perfections, I suddenly realized how far, far, far short I fell. But he saved me, he transformed me, he turned my life around, he gave me mercy and grace when I didn't deserve it, he forgave me of my sins, and that was nearly 20 years ago now. And so, <clears throat> believing in the Bible, people who believe in the Bible are not making some daft, blind leap of faith. They're not doing things that kind of, you know, let's just think of impossible things and we'll just believe those things. It's actually based on a perfectly logical and rational thing. Actually, to, believe, um, to be a Christian and believe the claims of the Bible is actually a perfectly legitimate way to go. 
And what we're going to be doing over the rest of this course is go, we're going to be preaching things from the Bible. We're going to be bringing truths out of the Bible and applying it to your lives. And so what I encourage you to do, that if you are here on a Sunday, get here, get ready, get ready to listen to what God is going to say to you. Because if this is God's word and God is behind it, he is up. He wants to do some business with you. He wants to change your life. He wants to transform you. He wants to come and speak to you. He wants to come and do things in your life. If you've missed, if you miss a Sunday, because you might be serving out with the kids, you might be away, or something comes up, Please make a point of downloading the sermon. We're going to try and get them online on the Sunday so you've got several days to have a, have a listen, catch up before the midweek meeting. Go to your life groups. Be expectant for what God is going to do. And what we're after at this course, we don't want to, we're not after behavioral modification. We're not saying give you 10 things to do to make you look nicer from the outside. What we're trying to do is change what you believe. Change what you believe. So make sure what you believe lines up with what the Bible says. Because Jesus said in John 8, what did he say? He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So actually, it's, it's about knowing. It's about understanding something. It's about, it's about getting inside our heads and confronting the things we believe that are not true, that are lies. And the reality is the culture we live in, the life we live, we, we literally, the air we breathe tells us lies about ourselves, it tells us lies about God, it tells us lies that are contrary to his word and what the Bible says. And we want to confront those lies and help us think in line with what the Bible says, in the way God would have us look. How, how we look at ourselves, how we look at him as God and Father, how much he loves us and he cares for us and he wants good for us. All those kind of things we're going to confront and deal with. So there's a few things that we'll be dealing with as we come through the course. We're going to look at how we can be brand new people in, Jesus, in Christ. That's what the Bible says. How we can go boldly into God's presence at any time. How nothing can make God love us more or less. How we can resolve the effects from our past, things that have happened in our lives. How we can deal with repeating patterns of sin in our life. And how we can understand God's purpose for our lives. So all those things we're going to try and hit as we go along and kind of um, help God um, change our thinking, change our lives. So I hope you're in expectation for that. I hope you're in faith for that. I hope you're praying towards that and excited for that. What's going to happen in life groups this week? Uh, when I get home, I'm going to mail out some notes to the leaders just to give you kind of a, um, some, a crib sheet for working through the evening. But we're going to look at what it, how we're doing reading our own Bibles in our own times because as believers... That's a fundamental thing we need to be doing. We need to be getting into the Word ourselves, reading, reading it, studying it, learning from it. We're going to talk about what God may have spoken to us recently through it, share some top tips for how of reading our Bibles, because everyone's slightly different how people do it. I don't read it the same as my wife, Melanie. We read it slightly differently, different approaches to it, but we're both in the Word, reading it. And so we're going to do that. And then we're going to spend some time kind of at the end of the evening just praying into the course, praying for one another, praying that God meets us, God changes us, and that ultimately that we are transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And so as we kind of leave this time and, and we're going to have some time worshipping in just a moment, I want to just pray for a sense of expectation in us. I want us to pray for that rise of faith. That even what, what we've heard this morning about God's word, most of you might have said, well, I've been a Christian while I've heard a lot of that stuff before. But I found that even as I was preparing this, thinking I've, I've, I've heard this stuff before, but when I read it again, I suddenly found my faith rise slightly. 
I thought, yeah, this is true. This is right. This is what God is about. And as I've looked at what the Bible's about, I've looked at how it's credible to believe it, I found my own faith rise. As I've looked at some of the stuff that we're going to be coming on to the rest of the course, I'm thinking, I can feel the faith in me rising. I can feel my own mind being changed, actually thinking, yeah, I'm being reminded of truth. And I know there's that adage that familiarity can breed what? Contempt. And it's true, is it? The more you, if you're really familiar with someone, you can almost just ignore it. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. But actually, coming back to it and looking at it afresh can be really, a really powerful thing for us. And so as we kind of finish this time, we're going to worship. I want us to go with that expectation. I'm going to pray for us that we don't let it kind of be like, oh, I've been here before, same old, same old. No, this is something God wants to do now, today. And the same truth that transformed lives decades, centuries ago can still transform lives now. The Bible, it says, is um, it's like a sword, isn't it? <laughs> Living out here, it can pierce it's powerful, and it does incredible work in transforming lives. So is anyone else excited about what's going to come? Yeah. Amen. Do you want to stand up? I'm going to pray. Ben, do you want to come back and get ready? Hopefully, kind of what I've shared today has just sort of whetted our appetite a little bit. Hopefully encouraged you. Hopefully excited you. God is a good God, and he loves you. This isn't, there's nothing in this that's going to be bad. Okay, don't think, oh, this is going to expose my life or make me feel wretched. No, this is going to build you up and encourage you that you've got a Father in heaven who loves you, who wants good for you, who wants to get to know you, to spend time with you, who loves you immensely, and there's nothing you can do to add to that or take away from that. He just loves you. He loves you with that everlasting love. We sang in that song at the end, what was it? I am loved by him. Love it. That's it. There's a full stop at the end of that. That's it. I am loved by him. It doesn't get any bigger or smaller than that. We are loved by God. So maybe you want to just close your eyes. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to worship and praise God, and we're going to see what happens. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given that to us, Lord God, that we have your word to study, that we can know you through that. We can know uh, your plans and purposes for our life, plans and purposes for the church. Lord, we can know about how wonderful and gracious and kind you are. We know that you are a loving Father who loves us as his children. We thank you for revealing Jesus in that, that what he did, that he, he came to earth, lived as a man. He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on a cross in our place for our sins so that we can come to know you. He rose bodily from death, victorious. He now he ascended into heaven and he now rules and reigns forever. And even one day we're going to see him face to face, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your truth that brings freedom. It doesn't bring slavery. It brings freedom. It brings release, Lord. We thank you that your truth sets us free. Lord God, and we ask that you, you open our minds to hear that, Lord. The Bible says that we are renewed by the transforming of our minds. Lord God, and we pray you do that. You transform our lives. We pray that lies that we've been told, that we've believed, people may have spoken over us, or we just told ourselves God would be, would be struck down in the face of your truth. Lord God, that we would come to know you more intimately as a result, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and fill us now as your people. Lord Jesus, that we may, we may worship you, we may praise you, we may honor you. Lord God, we want to say we love you. 
You are one of your girls. We thank you for this. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your family. We thank you for, you know, just saving us, Lord Jesus. Yeah. God's people said, Amen.